Welcome to the Bible Questions podcast brought to you by BibleQuestions.org and the Holly Street Church of Christ. This podcast is dedicated to answering your Bible questions from the Bible. My name is Jeff, and along with Brian, we are the hosts of this program. Welcome to the Bible Questions podcast and our continuing series on adding to your faith. And Jeff, so far we've had some really good studies talking about what our mindset should be as a Christian, the desire that we should have, the striving for moral excellence. And today we're going to continue on talking about self-control. Yes, indeed. And in fact, I would encourage our listeners, if they have not uh, listened to the previous podcasts on this subject, would definitely encourage them to go back. I think, Brian, I've personally lost track, but I, this is what number in this? Number four in the series. All right. So you got three previous ones that we would encourage everyone to go back and listen to. Uh, we're also honored today to have our congregation's preacher, uh, Alan Hitchin, with us, who will be doing the uh, heavy lifting, if you will, for uh, today's discussion. Alan, well, welcome back. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to once again be talking about these things. I think they're just so important. So to at least bring our audience to speed a little bit, can you uh, briefly summarize what we talked about last time? Sure, yes. We, we started this series by looking at Second uh, Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3 and going all the way down almost through the rest of the chapter. And Peter starts in verse 3 by telling us that God has given us his divine power, and now we have access to everything that pertains to life and godliness. And so it's ours to, to use. It's ours to work with. Uh, God's done his part, and then he ask us to do our part. And so we have to add on our part, and that's really what the fellowship in the gospel is. God sent his son to die on the cross. God gave us the New Testament scriptures and the power of prayer and the power of providence, but he expects us to act. James said, faith without works is works that we are to add. So Peter has comforted us, counseled us. His divine power has done these things for us. He's given us his precious and exceedingly great promises. And for this very reason, in verse 5, we should be giving all diligence to add our part to what God has done. And so that was that was our first lesson. Then we talked a little bit about virtue. And of course, virtue is the zeal, the excitement, the effort that we want to put into something. It's the very best that we have. And, and we talked about how uh, Jesus said that uh, the parable of the hidden treasure, that a man who finds that treasure and understands his worth will sell all that he has to buy that field. And so virtue then is our zeal and excitement and desire to be the very best that we can be. And then to that, we add knowledge. We, we want to learn as much as we can about what God wants from us, how God wants us to act, how he wants us to live, uh, what goals and plans we should have for our life, how we can learn the scriptures so that we can be useful to the Lord, and, and how we can be involved in helping him in, event. in the last uh, three lessons, the wonderful things God has done for us, and now we are looking at the opportunities we have to be in fellowship with him and as brian indicated at the start of today's podcast we're going to you know take the next step or go to the next you know, 
phrase or word in the verse, and that being self-control. So, Alan, could you kind of at least briefly introduce or, or set the stage for that before we start digging into the details? Sure. Self-control is the next step in the progression. Uh, I, I mentioned in the very first podcast that uh, for some, this is like a ladder. First, we get the virtue. Then we gain the self, the knowledge. Then we need the self-control. Uh, they flow one into the other. We are not going to have the intensity to get the knowledge without virtue, and virtue and knowledge without self-control uh, will lead us nowhere. And so Paul really summarizes, I think, all of this in First uh, Corinthians chapter nine. Verses 24 through 27. Brian, would you like to read that for us, uh, please? Sure. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. And everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim in such a way as not beating the air, but I buffet my body and make it my slave, lest possibly, after I pre have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. And so in this verse, I think we see all three. We see the virtue in the everyone who competes in the games is exercising self-control in all things. The desire to win, <clears throat> the desire to win is a very important part of virtue. It's something that it places inside of us the desire to do the absolute very best that we could possibly do. And that's what he's describing here. These men who are running this race, or women, they're running this race, they're all running. But they all know that only one is going to receive the prize. And so there's several things that they need to do. First of all, they have to exercise self-control in order to develop the ability to get the prize. But they also need knowledge. Self-control without knowledge is, is worthless. It has, no, it has no goal. You have to know exactly what you need to do. Sometimes you get a coach. You need someone who can tell you, this is how far you have to run every day. This is how far you have, this is how much weight you have to lose. This is how you have to do your running. Uh, you have to do interval training in which you force yourself to run faster and faster. And so you need someone to guide you. So we have Jesus guiding us in the scriptures, and that's the knowledge. We have the intensity of wanting to, live, to, to win, and that's the virtue. Then we have the, the ability to force ourselves to do what we want to do with the virtue and what we've learned to do with the knowledge, but now we have to take it to the next level. If we do not uh, work on all three of these, I have a desire, I have the knowledge, and I have the self-control. Paul describes that in verse 26. I run in such a way as not without aim. In other words, I have knowledge. I know exactly where I'm supposed to be running and how I'm supposed to be running. Same thing he says, I box in such a way as not beating the air. I am intense. I am self-controlled. And I know what I'm struggling to do. But then in verse 27, he continues to, as I say, to the next level. I buffet my body and make it my slave. 
I think if we were going to summarize what self-control is in the scriptures, that would be the best possible uh, explanation. I buffet my body and I make it my slave. The body has desires that have to be removed. The body has plans and goals that the scriptures now reveal. Uh, it is not in man that walks to direct his own steps. Well, now I know what my steps should be. So uh, as, we, uh, as we work on this, we, we struggle and we continue to add virtue. We continue to add knowledge. And now we're faced with, with my virtue and my knowledge, how do I make this happen? Yeah, and I really appreciate that overview. And, and you know, kind of in a small nutshell, at least in my own mind, it's it's in some ways like you're saying, you know, self-control. Not only we need the virtue and the knowledge, but once we have the self-control, that also enables us to take our virtue and our knowledge sort of up to the next level. So all three are kind of interrelated, interconnected. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's an excellent summation. And that's really what Paul says in Philippians uh, chapter 3, as he describes his own life, he says, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and stretching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And so Paul would get the virtue and the knowledge, and then he would gain the self-control to master that particular thing, whether it was praying without ceasing, whether it was preaching God's word and learning how to preach God's word and, and helping people to understand the truth or whether it was in the moral realm, buffeting my body. And so Paul would had the virtue. He wanted to be the best Christian he could be. And now he's gaining the knowledge. And once he masters one specific goal, then he's ready. He says, I press on for the next level. And so virtue and knowledge will always take us to a certain point where self-control will push us over the finish line. Uh, just like when somebody is running or preparing for a race, uh, they gain, they have the desire to win. They've got a coach who is giving them advice on how to take their time down, maybe 10 seconds or maybe a minute. Then they have to have the self-control to bring it down. And so that's exactly uh, what self-control will do for us. So, you know, when we think about defining this term self-control, some might say, well, it you know, means what it says, right? However, uh, when we look in the Bible and specifically the Greek, uh, it gives us a little better definition, a little more uh, defined, if you will. So, so how would you define that as the Bible defines it, Alan? Well, that's, a, that's an interesting uh, question. The Greek is a compound word made up of, of two different uh, concepts. The root word is power, strength, lordship, the ability to take control. And then added to that is a preposition that means within. So this is power, lordship, or control within my heart and within myself. And so self-control is actually a very, very clear uh, translation of what the word actually means. I have power, strength to master, 
to control, to curb, and to restrain. And so the biggest problem with self-control is that word self. It's something that we have to do. Many people pray to God, God, would you please give me more self-control, not realizing that God can give you the knowledge and God can give you the virtue, but you have to add that self-control. You have to take the things the scriptures say and you have to make them bring dominion. And without that dominion, uh, we don't have any self-control at all. Well, and kind of as we've seen already so far, not only is this power within self-control, but it also doesn't kind of implicitly uh, implies that there is a struggle. I mean, if it was easy, <laughs> you know, it wouldn't be a, a problem area. Um, so from at least that perspective, um, for Christians who lack some degree of self-control, uh, can you give us insight into how God uh, might view them in this situation? Well, there's a real interesting proverb. It's Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 28. And uh, Brian, would you like to read that for us, please? Whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. So God portrays my ability to control myself, my self-control over my own spirit, over my own desires. He describes that as a city and, and, of course, remember, in the Old Testament times, uh, many cities had a wall and gates, and, and they were protected. Jerusalem was protected. Uh, there was a siege, and they finally broke through the wall. But if I don't have self-control, then there's no protection. Whatever comes along is going to cause me to fall. And so uh, we have to have the ability to take control of our emotions, of our tongue, of our actions. And if we can't, then we're going to find ourselves just tossed to and fro and carried about because we don't have the control. We may have the virtue, I would love to be the best possible Christian. And we may know exactly what that is, but our hearts will be filled with agony and sorrow because we can't seem to reach it. We know what we want to do, and we really want to do it, but we can't get there. Well, that's what self-control is for, and learning self-control is a very important part of our growth as a Christian because God expects that I will gain more knowledge and as I gain more knowledge, I will always find myself a little bit behind the curve. One of the things that I've learned through the years is we will always know more about what we should be and want to be than we can actually do. And that's not a bad thing. That's a sign of growth. Uh, when I first become a Christian, I have to work on the grosser sins. I have to to gain self-control, not to use my tongue in filthy ways, not to drink, not to smoke, not to uh, be involved in activities that maybe were habits and, and maybe are very difficult to break, but we gain the self-control and we master it. And then as we master that, we move on to the next level. And as we move from level to level, we find ourselves wanting to be the best and knowing what we want to do on the next level, 
but it may take a year, it may take five years, it may take many years to gain the self-control to master and curb that particular thing. And this is the process. It's a process that we go through as we're living our life. First, we see a problem. And because we have virtue, we want to fix it. We don't, we don't want our problems to remain. And so we start working on it. And we struggle. And as we struggle, we, we grow and we develop. And the city begins to have walls and gates. And we begin to have the ability to overcome these problems and these temptations. And that brings us to a, a very important passage that I'd like to develop here. Jeff, would you please read uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13? Certainly. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape, so that you may be able to bear it. So we have God's promise and God's providence involved now in our personal life. He promises me that I've never faced a temptation since I've become a Christian that I could not have escaped. It isn't that we were overwhelmed. It isn't that we are facing battles that are not winnable. No, the truth is that every temptation has a way of escape. And self-control exists to give me the time to find it. The power and the lordship that I exert over myself when I feel an enticement to sin is going to be able to control that. Now, I may not be able to get out from under the emotions that are involved. There will be pain. It will be a very difficult situation. But the self-control is going to give me the time to look up the verses, to think about, and how to to destroy that. Yeah, and what a wonderful promise that is, you know, that we would never be forced to sin. Uh, and so it, it, we certainly thank God that he has given us that promise. And so, Alan, when we talk about self-control, how does that work when we feel a temptation? Well, in James chapter 1, James defines or describes what a temptation is. He first of all says that God doesn't tempt man with evil, that temptation doesn't exist in the spiritual realm where God lives. That's, that's just not a part of that realm. Temptation only exists in the world where the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life are operating, as John says in 1 John chapter 2. So James says, each man is tempted when he is drawn away by his own lust and enticed. So the temptation is within. The temptation is something that has been created by either my previous conduct, my previous activities. As we grow up, we uh, open certain doors into sin. Some of us use anger, some of us are lusts, or sexual lust, or drink, or, or smoke, or uh, every person creates their own temptations, and we don't all have the same temptations, which is why it's interesting to look at different people and realize that what I have a temptation for, this man doesn't have a temptation for, and what he has a temptation, I don't have. So we see how temptation is within. It is not something that comes from outside. It is something that we created ourselves. 
Now, if we can curb, master, control, and restrain the lust, then the temptation will stop. The enticement will be removed because I will no longer be interested in doing that particular thing. So every failure, every time I sin, it either manifests a lack of virtue. I'm not wanting it enough. Or a lack of knowledge. I don't know how to do it yet. Or a lack of self-control. I want to do it and I know what to do, but I just can't seem to do it quickly enough before it's over and I never had a chance to, to crush it. And so that's how Paul compared it. Paul compared it to how athletes exert their own uh, self-control over their bodies. Maybe they're tired, maybe they're hungry, maybe they're sleepy, but they don't succumb. They keep pushing because they want to get as far as they can, as fast as they can, for as long as they can. And that's what self-control brings to someone who has the virtue and the knowledge. And so there's I don't think that our Lord is going to have a lot of sympathy for us when it comes to those of us who just don't want to go through the painful process of learning self-control. And I base that, for example, let's turn, uh, actually, uh, Jeff, I think uh, you're up. Uh, Would you like to read Matthew 18, verses 8 through 10? And if your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than having two hands or two feet to be cast into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into the fiery hell. So Jesus depicts the temptation and the failure to fight that temptation as a hand or foot causing me to stumble. Uh, And maybe it's a situation where I have trouble with stealing and Jesus says, you'd be better to cut your hand off or to cut your foot off so you can't go into those places. And of course, he's not being literal here. He's simply describing how intense our virtue and knowledge will be when it comes to self-control. If I want to be a godly, devout Christian, and I know what it is to be a godly and devout Christian, and it means that I have to get rid of the sinful behaviors and the temptations that I created along the way. Uh, Paul talks to Timothy about fleeing youthful lust. Well, what are youthful lusts? Where are the, they're the things that we that we learned when we were 12, 13, 14, 15, all the way up to maybe 18 or 19, and and we open doors. As I said earlier, we we either through evil companionship or just through our own natural uh, abilities. We learned how to hate. We learned how to be angry. We learned how to take vengeance. We, we learned how to activate the lusts of the flesh and the eyes. And then we learned how to do those things. And you need your hand, you need your feet, and you need your eyes to be able to succumb or to be able to give in or to enjoy, if you want to call that enjoyment. But in order to do those things, you need your hand, your foot, or your eye. Jesus says, uh, 
I don't I expect your self-control to reach a level where if you have to force yourself to give something up, even as important as your hand, your foot, or your eye. Some people need to get rid of their television. Some people need to get rid of the job that they have or the companionship that they have. And sometimes it's very painful because we like the people we're around or we enjoy our job or we we like to watch the television. But if it's causing us to stumble any of those things, Jesus says it would be better for you to cut off and throw away that thing that is causing you. Now, that's what self-control is. Self-control means I would cut off my hand. I would cut off my foot. Again, not literally, but in regard to the important things in my life, self-control will force me to sell all that I have to buy that field. And so God has some high expectations of us, and we have to meet up to them. Yeah, I certainly appreciate the kind of insight you're giving us into what I might call human nature. I mean, I think we can all relate to these kinds of temptations, especially growing up, youthful lust, like you mentioned. In fact, that reminds me that we even have a proverb in English uh, that goes, you know, something roughly along the lines of, well, you know, God will understand me. God will understand what I'm going through. After all, I'm only human. And... So given what you're saying so far versus that proverb, you know, how, how would you respond to that sort of mm, rationalization? Well, it's, it's certainly a temptation for all of us to lower the threshold of our own expectations for ourselves. Unfortunately, if you're an Olympic contender and you want to be the very best in the world, you can't succumb to rationalizations. You have to push on. There is no scripture that describes this concept of I'm only human. Matter of fact, the scriptures teach that we were created in the image and likeness of God. There's no such thing as a, quote, only human person. People are either reflecting the divine nature and the divine image that God stamped us with at our creation, or we are reflecting a corruption and a defilement of that image. And so there's really no in-between. And I often illustrate it like this. If, if you sit down and read Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 19, and you read all the, the lusts of the flesh, uh, you read about... Uh, sorcery and idolatry and you read about anger and faction and divisions and you read about uh, uh, drunkenness and as you look at all the different temptations and and lust there you realize that you don't have all of them matter of fact most of us only have a few if we read all the sins in Romans chapter 1 after they left God and they, they filled their heart with ungodliness, or if we read about the sins that Paul describes in, in Colossians chapter 3 or in Ephesians chapter 4 as we put off the old man and put on the new man, we start to realize that for the most part, my divine image is intact. In other words, when I look at 90% of the sinful things that are described in, in the Bible, I don't have them. I feel the same way God feels about them. I hate them. They're disgusting. They nauseate me. Uh, the only sins 
that I struggle with are the ones that the lusts that are within me that have been activated by my foolish decisions that I then in my youth. And that's why Paul tells Timothy to flee those youthful lusts. And of course, fleeing is a form of self-control. You see it coming and you say, I know where this is going. I understand where this is going to take me and I'm going to stop it right here. I'm going to turn off the computer. I'm going to turn off the television. I'm going to tell my friend I'm going home. I'm going to do whatever is necessary to flee that. We can't make rationalizations about only being human. We can't make those kind of, of, of rationalizations because they sap our virtue, they sap our, or excuse me, and they violate our knowledge, and they keep us from the self-control that we need. Paul talked about the attitude we ought to have right after we're baptized. He, he explains in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through about verse 8, that we were buried with him in baptism, that we were raised up with him in baptism, and that we now have to walk in a new life. And so Paul then gives us a, a, a very important piece of knowledge that we need to factor in to our self-control. So. Uh, Brian, would you like to read uh, Romans 6, verses 12 through 14, please? Yes, here it says, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. All right, so here's knowledge. The knowledge that I have. I have the ability to not let sin reign. Sin reigns when I give up my self-control and I turn it over to sin. Whether it is a fornication issue, an adultery issue, whether it is a thieving issue or a vile thought issue, uh, if I succumb to it, sin takes over. Sin starts to use my mortal body, and it causes me to seek to obey its lust. But self-control says, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. And uh, the depending on how long we've been a Christian and how many battles we've fought and how many victories we've won, we will find ourselves either on the first level or maybe on the 10th level. Paul said, I just keep pressing on. I reach a certain level, then I see a new level, and I keep pushing on. And so uh, Jesus said, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. If your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. Je Paul says here, do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. So again, it's not the cutting off of the hand, it's the misuse of the hand and forcing that misuse to be cut away from ourselves so that we can present, our, present ourselves to God as being alive from the dead. And I want my members to be tools or instruments for righteousness. And I don't want to allow sin to have dominion over me because I'm not under law but I'm under grace. And we'll talk about that concept at the toward the end of the lesson, so I don't want to spend a lot of time on that right now. But let's just remember this. Our present level of self-control is a combination of our past victories, 
of the paths that we could have taken but we didn't, and the agonizing crucifixion of our lusts and desires. But it is also hindered by our failures and by our excuses. When we start saying, I'm only human, or uh, God can't expect me to be able to conquer everything, uh, I, I, I just can't do it all. Well, like I said, we, we cannot afford to, to do that because Jesus made tremendous sacrifices for us and he's not asking for anything unfair. He's asking for things that we can't do and that virtue would tell us we want to do and that knowledge would tell us that we can do. You know, Alan, from what you're talking about as you were going through these passages and these concepts, I was thinking about accountability and how each one of us it's so critical that we not only understand that we're accountable, but that we accept accountability. And it reminds me of the warning that Jesus gave to all his disciples that they must take up their own cross. We all must take up our own cross. So can you comment some on that? Sure. Yeah, there's several passages in, in the Gospels that are really a little bit startling when you first read them, because we all think about Jesus and his cross. But several times in the scriptures, uh, Jesus talks about our cross. And so, Jeff, would you like to read uh, Luke 9.23 and Luke 14.27, please? Sure. Then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And then skipping over to Luke 14. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So two things Jesus emphasizes here. If we desire to follow Jesus, if we want to be a Christian, if we want to make him our Lord, then we have to deny ourselves and take up our own cross every day. Now, that's a concept that many of us have not really wrestled with or grappled with. It's a piece of knowledge that we need to add to our virtue in order to gain self-control. So Jesus has left a cross. Now, it may have dust on it. it. It may be in a drawer where you haven't even found it yet. But Jesus has said, I have left you a cross, and I want you to take it up, and I want you to follow me. And then in Luke chapter 14, he says, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And so in Matthew 10, a verse I didn't have you read, but if you look at Matthew 10, 38, he says, he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. So we're not worthy of the Lord uh, and we can't be his disciple. And if we desire to follow him, we have to have a cross. Now, when we think about the cross, of course, the cross has gone through a real sanitation process from the time he spoke this. Remember, he hadn't died yet. And it hadn't become synonymous with the religion of Christianity. Some people today think the cross is such a beautiful thing that they go out and buy a beautiful gold cross and put it around their neck. Well, in the first century, that would have been unheard of. 
This was a means of death. It was not a religion. It was not a religious symbol. It was not something that people would would see in an honorable way. It was a very dishonorable thing. It was a terrible thing. To die by crucifixion meant that you would either suffocate or you would starve or die of thirst. It was a terrible, slow, agonizing, shameful, miserable way to die. And so when his disciples first heard this, I'm sure they were shocked. Take up my own cross? Can't be my disciple unless I carry a cross? Get out my cross every day or I'm not worthy of you? So this again, here's a piece of knowledge. Maybe a knowledge that we don't have. Maybe a knowledge that, that we need to look at. I have a whole lesson on this because it's, it's a very deep and very important subject. But the idea of a Christian carrying his cross is a simple illustration or parable of the depths of suffering that we should endure in order to have self-control. Now, let's, let's just think about something for a moment. We've all had a temptation that we longed to do, and for a time, maybe five minutes, maybe two hours, we fought it. We fought it. We said, I'm not going to do this, but the pressure just keeps building. My flesh wants me to do it. My flesh is desiring for me to do it, but my spirit is saying no, and so there's a battle. There's a battle between my fleshly desires and my spirit's desire to be righteous. And uh, it's an agonizing battle. It's painful. Now, what Jesus says is, I need to think in my heart, I have nailed my hands and my feet. Didn't cut them off. I nailed them to this cross. My hands, my feet are nailed to the cross, and I cannot come down. Jesus didn't come down from his cross. And I'm not worthy of him if I come down from mine. So I'm agonizing over this desire, this lust, whatever the lust is. It might be to drink. It might be to smoke. It might be to commit adultery. It might be to be angry when lash out at someone. doesn't matter what the temptation is or what the lust is. The self-control means put yourself on a cross, See yourself on the cross. You have your cross. You're using your cross so that you can be his disciple, so you can deny him, and so that you can be worthy of him. So the cross, which was only used by the Romans to inflict a painful and slow death, is now the parable or the illustration or the means by which you and I can gain self-control. So running in a race is a parable of self-control, and crucifixion is a parable of self-control, and cutting off your hand or cutting off your foot or plucking out your eye is a parable of self-control, and buffeting your body and bringing it into, into submission or making it a slave is a, is a, is a parable of self-control. And as I add these things to my knowledge, now I have the tools to practice self-control. I have the tool of telling myself I have to cut this off. I have the tool of nailing my hands and my feet to the cross. I have the tool of uh, cutting off or plucking out. It's, it's all available and these are weapons. These are weapons that we have that we can use to overcome pleasures, relationships, habits, or anything else 
that gets in the way of my virtue that wants me to be the best possible Christian and the knowledge that I have of what level I'm supposed to be working at. Given the various examples or, or parables that you mentioned, I mean, some of them we can kind of relate to, you know, Olympic athletes dedicating, you know, many years of their lives every day, you know, training, et cetera, exertion. Um, other examples we might be a little bit more struggling to relate to like that of crucifixion. But regardless of the example, it, it still sounds like a slow, painful kind of process to develop that sense of self-control. It's, it's, not an, it's not an easy thing to do. It's not a once and done kind of thing. It's like an ongoing uphill kind of struggle, isn't it? Absolutely. And I think that at, when, when we're dealing with knowledge, when we're dealing with what we learn as a Christian, learning that suffering pain uh, in order to conquer sin. You remember in Hebrews, uh, he told us, you have not yet resisted unto blood striving against sin. This is That's in Hebrews chapter 12. He, he is describing the tremendous efforts, the zeal, the, the, the uh, diligence, the desire that, that we have to be a pure and holy person. And God's watching that. God wants to see. Uh, when, when I, uh, or excuse me, when we, when we are in high school and we go out for football or we go out for uh, running and the coach is interested, he wants to see not so much what our natural ability is. He knows that some people are going to be faster than other people just naturally. What he's looking for is how much pain is this person willing to endure? How much effort? How does how strong does he really want to be a good athlete? And the, you know, we have proverbs in America, no pain, no gain. And we have another proverb, when the going gets difficult or tough, then the tough people, they keep going. And God's looking at that. God is intensely interested in how much effort as I say, we all have natural gifts. Uh, maybe I've never felt a temptation to do one particular activity that's wrong that maybe you do have a problem. And here I am talking about how much better I am than you because I never get angry or I never have these lewd thoughts or I never have these weaknesses that lead me. Well, that's because I have a gift. It's not because I have self-control. I just didn't open that door. So what God is interested in is not what we can do without any effort. That's gifts. What he's interested in is how much pain and suffering and agony I'm willing to go through. Like Paul said, I buffet my body. I bring it into bondage. I struggle and I strive because I want to be a godly and I have a lot of virtue and I have a lot of knowledge. And so we have these weapons. Matter of fact, there's a, there's a passage in 2 Corinthians. Uh, Brian, would you like to read uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses uh, 3 through 5 for us, please? Uh, yes, here it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but mighty before God to the casting down of strongholds. 
casting down imaginations and every high thing that is exalted against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So Paul speaks about weapons here. And a lot of these weapons are not offensive weapons. These are weapons that God has left for us in order to gain self-control, in order to cast down strongholds, in order to bring every thought into captivity, in order to cast down imagination. So what would these weapons be? Well, Jesus said that you can cut off your hand, you can cut off your foot. So there is a weapon for cutting off. There is a weapon for uh, the crucifixion, the cross that, that he left for me and you to carry. And I have to learn how to use that weapon. There's the weapon of the self-control of the athlete that we see all around us. We see people making tremendous sacrifices. We see soldiers that are sacrificing their lives for their country, for patriotism. We see workers who work hours and hours sacrificing and exercising self-control for the good of the business. Uh, we see students doing it. We see athletes doing it. And now, as a Christian, you know, Paul said to Timothy, no soldier on service uh, is going to uh, just go back. He's going to do everything he needs. He's going he's gonna to suffer. And the same thing with the athlete and the same thing with the farmer. He needs to be the one to do the effort to gain the fruits. And so uh, we, as Christians, we have knowledge we have virtue, because we've already talked about those things. I, I want to be the best, and I know what I need to do. Now I've got these weapons, uh, the whole armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6 is another series of weapons. We have a shield. We have a sword. We have uh, the various uh, parts of the, the Roman armor that we can put on. And so we have these weapons, these weapons that, for the most part, are used against our own desires because that's where the issues are. When Satan was conflict, or excuse me, when Satan did battle with Jesus, they were using weapons. And Satan was using weapons of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And Jesus was responding with his own weapons, which was quotations of the scriptures, his own knowledge of what God wanted him to do. He wouldn't allow Satan to define an action. He would not allow his own lust to define it. He would only allow God to define it. And so these are things that we have these weapons for, and these weapons are designed to put things to death. And, of course, Paul talks about this. Um, uh, Jeff, would you like to read Colossians 3, verses 5 to 9, please? Sure. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them, but now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds. So the weapons of our warfare that are mighty before God will help us to put to death our members which are on the earth. 
Now, members on the earth is an interesting concept. We, we just read in Romans that we are not to use the members of our body. We're not to give that over to sin. We are to use those members for righteousness. Well, members which are on the earth are members which are not used for righteousness. And then he starts listing them, fornication, uncleanness, and passion. Uh, these are sexual things. Fornication is the actual act. Uncleanness, passion, and evil desire would be pornography. It would be filthy jokes or language or innuendos. It would be anything that creates an interest or a desire in any sexual activity with anyone other than your spouse. And that all needs to be put to death. There is no activation of anything in the sexual realm except between a husband and a wife. And so I have to take the weapons of cutting off and of the cross and of self-control and effort. I have to take those weapons and I have to cast down those imaginations and those things that lead into those areas. And of course, he just continues. Covetousness means that I want something that someone else has. And of course, I'm not going to go through each one individually. That's part of what knowledge does. Knowledge gives us the information about these things, and then self-control gives us the ability with the cross, with the cutting off, and with the self-control, and the buffeting, and all of the things the scriptures reveal, uh, I, I can put these things to death, and I can remove them. And Paul also touched on this in Romans chapter 8. Uh, Brian, would you please read verse 13? For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So now we've kind of come full circle. Because this is self-control. Self-control is putting to death the deeds of the body. Now, if I don't do that, and this is where the crucifixion comes in, this is where the cross comes in, if you are living according to the flesh, then you must die. Uh, there is uh, no hope. If we do not exercise self-control, if we do not conquer these things and remove them one by one, if we don't flee them, if we don't cut them off, if we don't crucify them, if we don't uh, exercise self-control and buffet our bodies, that's what the Holy Spirit has revealed to us. The Holy Spirit, through knowledge, through virtue, the Holy Spirit has revealed how we put to death. And that's what self-control is. Self-control forces me. And if I don't gain any ground, if I can't do any more conquering of my desires and evil as I could before I became a Christian or after I became a Christian, then I either don't have virtue, I don't have knowledge, or I don't have self-control. The growth and development, when Paul talked about it, he said, I have been crucified with Christ. So he had gotten his own cross, and he had crucified himself alongside of Christ. He said, it's no longer I that live, but Christ living in me. And so that's what I want. That's what you want. That's what virtue says. I, I want to be like this. I want Jesus' death on the cross to meet means something. In my own person, I want God to be happy with what he sees. And so this is, this is important. But then some people like to fall back. Yeah, but what about the grace of God? What about 
God's mercy and compassion. Can't, can't he deal with these things even if I can't gain self-control? And I mentioned earlier when we were talking about grace that I was going to come back to this. And so, Jeff, would you please read uh, Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12? For the grace of God that brings salvation, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. So Paul says the grace of God teaches us. Well, what does it teach us? Does it teach us that we can go easy on ourselves? Does the grace of God teach us that we shouldn't have to work as hard? No, no, it doesn't. The grace of God that brings salvation teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust, to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. So Paul's point is this. The grace of God did not come so that I could keep living the way I lived before I became a Christian and be saved because that's what the grace of God... The grace of God came for an entirely different reason. The grace of God has come to teach me that I now have time to learn how to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. That's what the grace of God is for. The grace of God is to forgive me of today's sins so that I can work harder so that tomorrow I will be what God wants me to be and I won't need forgiveness of those things anymore because I have denied ungodliness and worldly lust and I'm now living soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. So we also have to learn that the grace of God is one of the weapons of our warfare, but many people have turned it into a crutch. The grace of God was never given for the purpose of me succumbing to my sins and not working hard, or me saying it doesn't matter uh, what I do because once I'm saved, I'm always saved. That is such a a misuse of the grace of God. It is a misuse of this mighty weapon that God has given to us. This is a weapon that gives me the right to do better tomorrow than I could do today. But it does not give me the right to stay the same. And so this is very, very, very important. And so as we, we summarize self-control, self-control is taking my virtue which is my desire desire to be the best possible Christian I can be and to put forth all the effort into being that, and my knowledge, which is giving me the proper information about where I actually am in the eyes of God, and that creates a gap. The gap is, I am here is where I am, and here's where I can see that I now am supposed to be, and now self-control comes in to bridge the gap. Self-control forces me to build the bridge between what I know I should do but what I can't do until what I know I should do I can do and then of course I'll get more knowledge and then I'll find another gap and I'll bridge that gap. And that's why Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, I have not already attained but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and pressing forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And Paul gave us this wonderful example. And I hope that everyone listening today, that, that you'll start giving careful thought to your weapons, learning how to cut off, learning how to pluck out, learning how to get your cross, learning how to buffet your body. These are precious 
precious gifts that God has given to us so that we can learn how to activate our self-control. Alan, one final question for me, and that is, you know, when we consider self-control in the context of adding to our faith, would you agree that if we lack self-control, it will, you know, in essence, derail our efforts, efforts to adequately grow or, you know, will at least stunt our ability to add to our faith? Well, of course, Peter deals with that because at the end of these seven things that he lists, he says, if these things are yours, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful. If you lack these things, you're going to be blind. So any one of the seven things, and of course, we've only covered three now, there's still uh, four to go. But any one of those seven things, if I lack them, then they're going to lead to some serious ramifications or some serious uh, consequences. So without self-control, I cannot finish this chain. And it's going to be a a terrible, terrible failure that God is going to be dealing with us because he's given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. And all we have to do is learn how to have the ability to actually do what he's asking us to do. You know, it's interesting, as you were talking a few moments ago about, you know, God's grace and some people trying to use that grace as a a crutch or an excuse or a rationalization to continue doing what they have been doing. I was reminded of Romans, uh, the sixth chapter uh, at the beginning in the first four verses that say, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin? Grace may abound? Certainly not. And this is from the New King James. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Um, Any final uh, thoughts on that, Alan? Well, from a global perspective, every human being who comes to the Lord has opened doors into sinful activities, and now it has to stop. As I said, most of us were blessed. We didn't open that many doors. Maybe three, maybe four, maybe five. We've opened up into, and we've activated one of the lusts. Now, Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of those sins, and the pain that he endured in order to bring that forgiveness should be a classic sign to us of how terrible sin is. And can we continue in sin? Absolutely not. We have got to conquer these things as we can and as quickly as we can, and we've got to agonize and put forth whatever energy we have into doing that, because otherwise we are not properly uh, showing our respect and our appreciation for what Jesus suffered in order to bring about our salvation. And then we turn around and say, well, Lord, I appreciate your suffering for me, but don't expect me to suffer for you. It's almost, it's almost ludicrous to say something like that. And yet that's how some people look at Christianity. Jesus can carry the cross, but I'm not going to get a cross. Jesus can suffer and have self-control, but I don't want to have to go through that kind of pain. I think the Lord will have some things to say to us on the judgment day if we take that kind of philosophy. 
Well, thanks, Alan, for this good teaching on self-control. And can you give our listeners just a preview of what we will be talking about in our next episode as far as the next spiritual quality we'd like to add to our faith? Sure. The next quality is perseverance. You know, I think we can all see that this is going to be a grind, that this is going to be painful, it's going to be difficult, it's going to be a... I climb up and I fall down, and I climb up and I fall down, and how can I keep going? Well, that's where perseverance or endurance or uh, the emotion that forces me, when I'm tired, when I'm weary, I will take the next step. And so that's really what we're going to be talking about next week is how to take the next step. And as always, we would encourage our listeners to go to our website for additional information. Uh, it's website at biblequestions.org. In the topical area under S, you'll find a topic of self-control. A little bit broader topic under C for Christian living. Uh, even Z for zeal. Uh, there's an interesting article there called A Christian's Cross. I might also mention that under the lessons choice at our website. You'll find a section called Christian Living, and underneath that you will find a page called Adding to Your Faith, which is additional information specifically on uh, the topics that we're talking about in this special series with Alan. So lots of material on our website. We would certainly encourage everyone to investigate it further. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Bible Questions podcast. We invite you to visit our website, biblequestions.org, where you can submit a Bible question to be answered. And you can also search archives where we have answered several hundred Bible questions over the years. Our website also has a host of free Bible study material, free correspondence courses, as well as sermons and a host of other material. Please stop by and check it out.